Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jen Hendrich, and I'm the middle school pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's message, you'll hear from Pastor Jason as he teaches from Exodus 11 and 12, the story of the Passover in Egypt. This story in scripture is impactful because not only was it a momentous occasion for God's people, but it also points us to Jesus's later coming. Dive in together with us as we learn from Jason. Well, here's what I know. I know that most of us like plans when we're the one that made the plans, correct? I like all of the itineraries that I come up with. In fact, my best restaurant experiences are ones that I would recommend for you to go to. I tend to have great experiences. Why? Because I'm the one who is in charge. When I'm the boss or when I'm in charge, let's just be honest, I tend to like what I come up with. And I have a strange suspicion that you are just like me. When you get your way, and when you get to come up with the plan, you probably love every part of your plan. Now, on the flip side, things become a little bit less desirable when I'm not in charge. And things probably become a little bit less appealing when you're not the one who is in control. This is a safe place this morning. Let's just be honest. A lot of us deep down have control issues. We do not think that other people are as capable as doing things as we are. We tend to think that we are number one and no one else can surpass us in greatness. But it's not just other people. Have you noticed in your spiritual life that sometimes when God's working in your life, you begin to wonder, can God really be trusted? Does God really know all the intricacies of my story? Does God really know all of the details? Because what God's asking me to do doesn't sound like he actually knows what that's going to require of me. So you see, it's not just business. It's not just organizational decisions. It's not just leisure activity. This whole concept of who's in charge and what do I do as a result of who's in charge has huge implications in our spiritual life. Because see, God moves in our life all the time. God moves in your life. He moves through the power of the Holy Spirit. He moves through his word. He moves through encouragement of other people. And you and I have to grapple with, do I trust God more than I trust myself? How about scripture? How about when it comes to scripture? I have a copy of God's word up here. Maybe you have a mobile device with the Bible connected to that. And don't you realize that when it comes to scripture, there's certain passages of scripture that make a lot more sense to me than others do. Is there anybody that takes offense to God is close to the brokenhearted? No, I like that one. I mean, I love that one. That's the one that brings so much hope. And to know that I'm in these seasons of brokenness, that God is really close to me. Well, enter our text today and we're talking about the plague of death. And all of a sudden, I begin to wonder, okay, well, that one doesn't seem as ooey-gooey as God is close to the brokenhearted. So I'm not really sure that there's any truth in this for me this morning. But even as we read Scripture, in no way does it mean that God is working more through the things that seem, quote-unquote, more positive to me than the things that might seem, quote-unquote, more negative. Because God is in the midst of this story. In fact, we're in the middle of our sermon series this summer called The Greatest Adventure. And what we've been 
leaning into is the fact that God is writing a great story in our life, and we've been using the story of Moses as the story that we've been studying to see what is it that God has done already, and what does that teach me about the greatest adventure that God has for my life. Now, for those of you who are here for the very first time today, a special welcome to you. And again, you've caught us in the middle of this sermon series in the summer called The Greatest Adventure, but that's okay because I'm going to give you a little bit of a review. And some of you have been here every week just like me, and you still need a review of what's happening and what's going on in this story. It's so interesting because Moses was born in a time as an Israelite when the Israelites were in captivity by the Egyptians. And the leader of the Egyptians was a man, a leader, one of the most powerful men in the world at that time named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was not a good guy. And so Pharaoh had issued an edict that all of the Israelite boys were to be put to death. And Moses, being an Israelite boy, his mom did not want him to succumb to that. And so she puts him in a little basket and puts the basket out on the river so that the basket floats through the river. And it is found by Pharaoh's daughter. Interestingly enough, the very guy who issues the edict that the Israelite boys are to be murdered ends up raising one. In his home, don't tell me God's not in the midst of all of the details of this story. And so the Israelites are in captivity. Moses, being an Israelite, notices this. And so he decides to do something about it. And so he goes and confronts one of the Egyptians about the way that they're oppressing the Israelites. And they begin to get in a tussle, and it leads to the point that Moses actually kills this Egyptian man. And so that puts a bounty on Moses' head, so to speak. And so he flees from the land of Egypt to Midian. Forty years pass, and God places a call upon Moses' life to go back to Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of captivity. And what Moses does is what a lot of us tend to do. When God places a call upon our life, he reminds God of all the reasons that somebody else would be better. He says, God, look at all my list of insecurities. But God had already promised Moses that he was working. God had already said, I'm going to do this in and through you before Moses ever had an opportunity to remind God about how flawed that he was. But Moses answers the call, and he goes, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, I want you to let my people go, or rather, God wants you to let my people go. And he has sent me as a messenger, but Pharaoh is a very unrelenting leader, and so he says, I'm not going to let the people go. And so what does God do? God brings nine plagues upon the Israelites, plague after plague after plague, and y'all, these are some gross things that are happening, an infestation of frogs in Egypt to try to get their attention, an infestation of gnats, flies, you know, water turned to blood. It's just these terrible things that are happening. And Pastor Jacob talked about this last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to Jacob's message. It was so good because he talked about how each of these things that God brought in plagues represented a little g God of the Egyptians. So in the midst of all of this, God is trying to remind the Egyptians, I am bigger and I am more powerful than all of your little gods. But none of those plagues brought death until this last and final plague. God says to Moses, I'm going to bring one more plague to show Pharaoh that he is in the wrong, that he is standing against my plan and that I am working at all times. And you're going to hear this this morning and it may not make sense to you. In fact, it may sound a little bit too harsh, but ultimately what you're going to see God doing is that God is showing us a great picture of sacrifice 
God is showing us a great picture of ultimately what Jesus is going to do for us as his blood was shed so that you and I could have life. So I hope and pray that you'll open your heart up this morning and open your mind up to say, God, what is it that you want to show me? Teach me what it is that you want to teach me today through your word. And I promise you, he will do that. So why don't we pray to that end this morning? Lord, thank you for meeting us here. We're so grateful for who you are. I thank you for each and every person that's assembled in this place. I know it is not by accident that any of us are here. So I pray, God, that you would meet us, that you would speak to us boldly through your word, and that you would remind us that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are loving, and that you are faithful. God, you are so good to us, and we thank you again for who you are. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. The text that we're going to be reading this morning starts in Exodus chapter 11. So if you have a Bible and you want to open to Exodus chapter 11, you're going to see these words up here on the screen. There's a lot of them printed there for you in your worship guide. Also, we give you blanks every week that you can fill along if that helps you to pay attention, helps you to kind of write down some things to refer back to later on this week. I encourage you to fill in those blanks as we go through some of these points this morning. But let's start in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, and I'm going to read all 10 verses. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than ever has been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. And the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country." So see what God does here is God brings one more message for Moses to deliver to Pharaoh. There had been nine already, and this was the tenth and final. And this is what God says. Tell Pharaoh that at midnight, God is going to pass through Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt from you, Pharaoh, to the lowest person in society, their son is going to be taken. In fact, at the most base level, in case you don't clearly get what it is that God was saying. God was saying to Pharaoh, if you do not stop what you're doing, you are going to lose your son. This would seem like it would be enough for Pharaoh to say, let, my pe- let them go. Let the Israelites go. But his heart was so hardened that he did not let the people go. And every step of the way, Every step of the way, there's something about this text that I don't want you to miss. And we've talked about it every week. We're going to talk about it today, and we're going to continue to talk about it throughout the course of the rest of this series. And it's up here on the screen because this passage, these texts scream this so loudly to us that God is sovereign over all things, and he works through all things. This is a story about God being in control. Not man being in control, but God being in control. See, God is sovereign over all things, and he works through all things. 
that greatest adventure that God is calling you to embark upon. One of the best ways to prepare for that adventure is not all the bags that you pack, but it's the realization that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that God is working in and through all things. Look at all of these little snapshots of God's sovereignty just in this passage of Scripture alone, or this past kind of couple chapters that we have been in. Moses just happened to be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the most powerful evil man's house that he would then turn around and deliver his people from. Is that a coincidence? No, that's God's sovereignty. How about Moses when he fled? When he fled Egypt, he went to the land of Midian. Fast forward several weeks in our sermon series when Moses delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. Do you want to take a guess as to what land he takes them into? Midian the very land that he had spent decades learning and becoming an expert in. And in this passage alone, there's God's sovereignty all over it in this little way that you may even particularly miss. Go back to verses 2 and 3. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Catch what happened here. He says the Israelites are to go and ask the Egyptians for all of their gold and silver. So you've been held here in captivity by these people. But before I deliver you, I want you to go and ask them for all of their gold and silver. And they're going to give it to you. Because Moses had found favor with the Egyptians. Hello. The very guy who called down boils on your skin is the one who now is favorable to you, so much so that when his people ask you for all the gold and silver, you're going to willfully give it to them. They're going to go out into the, they're going to go out into the desert. They're going to be traveling around for years in the desert. I'm thinking if I'm them, I would have asked for food or water. I mean, they had no food or no water, but gold chains. I mean, bars of gold that we're, that we're walking through the desert with. See, God provided for them every step of the way, though. But you could miss God's sovereignty in this moment because what's happening is eventually they're going to get to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, one of the first things that God asks them to do is he asks them to build a tabernacle, to build a place so that he can come and dwell physically. And that tabernacle was ornate. And do you know what some of the items were required to build the tabernacle? Gold and silver. Where do a bunch of wanderers in the desert get gold and silver from? From the people that were holding them captive. God's sovereign in all things. God redeemed this season of oppression to bring about a moment of worship. Now, this is completely beside the point, but they also used some of that gold to fashion a golden calf <laughs> as an idol to worship one of their man-made gods opposed to the holy sovereign God, but that's a sermon for another day. God is in the midst, though, of all of these details, and I hope that it's not lost on you because some of you are walking through a dark season right now, and you're wondering, can God redeem this? Some of you are at a low point in your life right now. Maybe it's figuratively, maybe it's literally, and you're just wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Can God work through everything that I am going through right now? I promise you, if he can take the very items that were being held captive by his people and gives those items to the Israelites so that they can travel with them and turn around and use those very items to build a house of worship for God to come and meet. There is nothing that's going on in your life that God can't use. 
There is no low point that you're walking through right now that God doesn't want to redeem. You just have to come open-handedly with it and say, God, I want you to meet me in the midst of whatever it is that you are doing. Do you believe that he can do that? Do you believe that he will do that this morning? And what does that look like for you personally? Let's go back to the text, back to verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Have you guys heard the old phrase, where there's a will, there's a way? Meaning that, you know, if I have the will and if I have the willpower, then there is a way for me to figure out the plan. When I read this text, this jumps out at me. Where there's wrath, there's a way. Now, this one is not as tweetable. This one's not as fun on Instagram as where there's a will, there's a way. This one doesn't get put on T-shirts and just jump off the shelf. Okay, you know, it's like, what's your life motto? Where there's wrath, there's a way. (laughs) You know, it's like not necessarily kind of a life mantra, so to speak. But what you see here is that because God had given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for the Egyptians to make amends with what it is that they had done, God's wrath continues to come. And the wrath of God is not something that's popular to talk about. We like to talk about the blessings of God a lot more, but in really in all actuality, what we tend to do is when we talk about the wrath of God, we separate it from everything else. But God is big picture love. That is the defining characteristic. That's who God is. God is love. So God being having wrath also has to come under this umbrella of the fact that God is loving. I can't divorce the two. I can't say the loving nature of God and the wrathful nature of God. They are one in the same. God's wrath is not separate from his holiness. God's wrath is not separate from his sovereignty. I think about it from a parenting perspective. See, I'm not a good parent when I only shower praise on my children when they do things right and completely ignore all of the things that they do wrong. I believe that God has given me a responsibility as a parent to help them understand what is God's plan for you, what is God's best plan for you, and he has entrusted you to me to be a conduit of helping you understand what is God's plan for your life. I don't think you're a bad parent because you make your kids follow the rules. I don't think you're a bad parent because you say there are consequences for breaking a rule. I would, in fact, pat you on the back and say, good job. Good job, parent, for helping a child understand that there are consequences for things that they do that are breaking a rule. See, God is no less good or he's no less holy because he has a standard that he's holding us to. In fact, it screams of how good he is, that he cares about us, that he has a standard for our lives. Don't miss the fact that God had made nine previous attempts for Pharaoh to let the people go. Nine attempts. Death had not come as a result of any of those plagues, and Pharaoh ignored all nine. There was ways out, and he didn't take it. See, where there's wrath, there's always a way. But notice the clear distinction between the two groups of people. 
Because you've got the Egyptians, and it says that this death angel is going to come. This last plague is going to come. And what's going to happen in all of the Egyptian households? There's going to be wailing. There's going to be screaming like we have never heard. What's going to be happening over in the Israelite households? Uh, the dog's already been going to bark. I mean, what an interesting little picture. I mean, if you've ever lived next door to a neighbor, that did not fall on you guys the way that I wanted it to because some of you have not had a neighbor that had a barking dog. And if you have had a neighbor with a dog that will not stop barking, then you realize just how big a deal this really is. Because he says the angel is going, the angel of death is going to come through, and in the homes of the Israelites, the dogs aren't even going to wake up and snooze. That's how different God's wrath is being experienced by his people opposed to those who are standing in the way. God was making a way, but they didn't catch the signs. They didn't see what God was doing, which begs the question, how about you? Do you see those signs that God is doing? In fact, I want you to answer this question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but answer it to yourself. Have you ignored the ways God is trying to get your attention? Maybe you've ignored the ways. Have you ignored the ways that God is trying to get your attention? Back to verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. See, God is sovereign over all and he still uses all things to try to get our attention. Do you know what God has at his disposal to try to get your attention? Everything. There is nothing in the created world. There is nothing in the world that we don't even understand. There is nothing in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can't even articulate that God does not have at his disposal. So what is God going to use to get your attention? Yes. Choice D, all of the above. And so are you listening to God or are you ignoring the ways that he's trying to get your attention? Because what he was trying to do here was to get the attention of Pharaoh. And it was plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh kept turning and hardening his heart to what it is that God wanted to do. And the Bible is filled with examples of God getting people's attention. And some of them are really positive and they make great Bible stories for kids. And some of them are really hard for us to fathom. And they, they're not the stories that we tell, you know, every week in um, our family ministry areas. And I think about some of these just to give you a few examples. The one that came from Moses was a burning bush. God was trying to get Moses's attention. And so he set a bush on fire and the bush did not burn. So it was burning, but not actually burning. By a show of hands, whose attention would that get? Yes, all of us. Some of us are saying, I wish God would be a little more clear at times. Show me a burning bush, God, and I'll respond to that. How about um, King Belshazzar, the, king, the son of King Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel? When it came to Daniel and Daniel is following God and the leaders at that time who were evil were we're standing in opposition and putting, you know, really, um, really hard, oppressive principles up on Daniel. And Daniel said, I'm not going to stand up for that. I'm going to worship the one true God. And God's trying to get the attention of the evil kings like King Belshazzar. And what happens is he's sitting in the palace and writing starts happening on a wall. Literally, a hand appears on the wall and starts writing. Uh, that would get my attention. 
God's trying to get his attention. How about Gideon? We talked about this in family ministry just this past week. Those of you with elementary and preschoolers, you probably had your kids brought home a little flame, a little fire, because it was a Gideon, one of, the, one of the greats, one of the greatest stories. I love this story in the book of Judges. And he was going up against the evil group called the Midianites, and he had a huge army. And God said, if I don't winnow your army down a little bit, you're going to defeat the Midianites, but you're going to think it was you because you're so powerful. And so I'm going to need to remind you and show you some signs that I am with you. And so the army goes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till they're down to a really small army. And you know what their weapons of choice that God gave them? Glass jars and flame. I mean, it's showing up for a war with a mason jar with a tea light in it. We're here for battle. But God was victorious through them. And it was sign after sign that God was saying, no, I'm trying to get your attention. Don't ignore the ways that I'm trying to get your attention. There are so many things that God is probably doing in your life right now that you have explained away, but it's God trying to get your attention. He's trying to show you what it is that he wants to do, a plan that he has for you. And some of those are hard seasons. Some of those are physical storms. Some of those are literal storms. Some of them are the, uh, the negative effects that have happened in our life because of bad decisions that we've made. But on a more positive note, it's the encouragement as well. The encouragement that other brothers and sisters in Christ give to you. See, God's trying to use that to get your attention. Maybe God's word this very morning. God's trying to get your attention through something that happens in this story. And I hope that you'll open up your heart to it and say, God, what are you trying to get my attention about? Because I know that when I see that, that helps me follow through on this greatest adventure that you have for me. So let's go to chapter 12 to see specifically what they were to be prepared for, because this is what God was going to do, starting in verse 3. So tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, and when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, and with the head, legs, and internal organs. And do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals." And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So God tells Moses, this is what the Israelites are to do. You are to take the blood of a lamb. And you're to slaughter that lamb and you're to put the blood over the doorpost of the house, cover the entire doorpost of the house. It's very specific instructions, isn't it? That each household is to step up 
and do this. It's not just one person in the whole community, but each household is responsible for doing this. They are to go find a lamb that was without spots, without blemish, without defect, meaning it was a perfect specimen of a lamb. And they were to slaughter the lamb and they were to cover the whole door and then they were to eat the meat that was roasted over fire. But if there was any of that that was left over, they weren't to save it for a later day. They were to destroy it because it was only to be used for this Passover feast. So let's go back and think through these step by step. There was blood that was needed for everyone. And this blood had to come from a place of perfection. And this blood was covering everything. And the blood was only sacrificed for this particular reason and that particular moment. Hmm. What does this sound like? What other story in Scripture that we celebrate on Easter does this remind me of? Blood was front and center to the Passover. Blood is front and center to the change that God wants to do in our life today. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus being sacrificed for us, God sending his son. And as we talked about just a few minutes ago, 1,400 years passed between this and the moment when Jesus comes. And you see this here up on the screen, but the blood of the lamb changes everything. The blood of the lamb changes everything. Verse 23, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and the sides of the doorframe. And he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. See, God made a way for death to not come to these households. And why did death not come? It was because of the blood. God made a way for you today to not experience death. How does that happen? Is it by money? Is it by influence? Is it by having a better job than the person sitting next to you? No, the only way that your life is made right today is because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And leaning into what it means to have that relationship with him. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's the blood that purifies us from sin. And so all of a sudden, this text that may seem really ancient or may seem really harsh is a beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do as his blood was going to be shed so that we could have life. Back to verse 13. So the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then finally, verses 29 and 30. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Not sure what the cows did to offend everybody, but they're all gone too. (laughs) Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. See, all who didn't have blood on the doorpost experienced death. The same is true for us today. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I are equally dead. We were all born. We all have biological parents. We have a moment that we were born into this world. But what Jesus is talking about is when we are born anew with him and we give control of our life over to him. And it's 
the greatest need that we all have. In fact, it is the one thing that we all have in common. I want you to see this up here on your notes this morning, but sin is the great equalizer. If you're ever wondering, what is the great equalizer in life? What really makes us all the same? There is one thing that makes us all the same, and it's sin. It is the great equalizer. We're all different. We all have different interests. We all have different likes. We look different. We have different jobs. Some of you love coffee. Some of you hate coffee. Group B, I don't understand you, but that's beside the point. You know, how could it not be just like the what you need most in life, it seems like, on a, on a day-to-day basis. No matter how many things separate us, no matter how many things make us different, this is what we all have in common. Sin is the great equalizer. But what often happens is we tend to live in a way where we think we don't have all this in common. Because, you know, my background's a little bit different. And, you know, my grandmother was like a Christian in Alabama. And so, you know, I'm sure I'm fine with God. Or, you know, I was raised in the Catholic church, you know, we never missed and, you know, and I did all these things. So I'm sure I'm fine with God. Praise God for your story. But sin is what keeps us all equal. And until we grapple with the fact that sin has separated us from God, then we are dead. There's blood pumping through your veins, but you're dead. And God says, I want to bring you life. We're all guilty, but praise God, he made a way. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that God had a standard for our life. And because of our sin, we fall short of that standard. And the son of Pharaoh and the firstborn of the prisoner were both taken because sin is that great equalizer. Maybe you read this this morning and you think, I still don't see how God is in the midst of this. Be encouraged. God has always made a way, and God makes a way for you right now. God was trying to get their attention. God's trying to get your attention. The blood was shed all these years ago so that God would pass over, and the blood would be, this, that would be what God would see to pass over. And now, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus. His life was sacrificed. His blood was shed, and his son's blood was shed so that now we don't have to put blood over our doorposts anymore. But his blood covers us. And what we do now is we acknowledge what price he paid. And we ask for forgiveness, and we say, I don't want to be in control of my life anymore, but I want to confess, and I want to believe that God is who he says he is. And that blood is just as real and genuine and life-giving today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so I want you to reflect up on that. I want you to reflect up on that. Maybe it's hard for you to trust God in these difficult moments of life. Or maybe it's really easy for you to trust God in the sweet moments of life. But what about the moments when we have to grapple with the fact that our sin separates us from God? But praise God, he didn't leave us there. He said, I made a way so that you could be made whole. God is so good. God is so holy, and he's in the midst of it all. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back up because at the end of this Passover celebration, the Israelites were told to remember They were told to remember the Passover, and we are told today to remember the sacrifice as well. And so this morning, as you've been reminded a couple times already today, we want to remember the 
a sacrifice that was made so that we could have life. And we call that communion. It's participating in the Lord's Supper. And I want you to prepare your heart just in this moment. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, if there's something that's standing in between you and God right now, I'm going to give you just a second to get your heart in the right place. Because that is the prerequisite for this act of worship, is that you would be someone who is walking with Jesus and has that relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be still for just a moment. This morning, I hope that you picked up one of these little cups as you walked in. And if you want to peel back the top layer revealing this little piece of bread, it's a little cracker, and it just simply represents symbolically the body of Christ that was broken so that you could have life. Jesus called his disciples together near the end of his public ministry, and he knew what he was getting ready to call them into. And he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, that this would provide you the strength for all that you have ahead of you. So we do this today in remembrance of him. So won't you eat today of the bread? And this cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed, that precious blood that was shed so that we could have life. Won't you drink that today in remembrance of him? Thank you, God, for meeting us in this place. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And God, we remember today your sacrifice. We remember your blood that was shed and your body that was broken so that we could have life and we could have it to the full. So I pray, God, that you would be honored with our lives, that you'd be honored with our worship, that you would be honored with the life that you've called us to live. Help us to be faithful to you. And we thank you, God, for the strength that you give us day by day to fulfill the calling that you've placed on our life. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History, Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and the ways that you can connect. We're so thankful for you.